Hello, welcome to Make of Week. My name is Annabelle. And I'm B. And we are so excited to be talking to you about Theme Vodpuk, also known as Wuxia Films today. Theme Vodpuk actually has a pretty big impact on me because I grew up watching a lot of it. I remember as a kid, we would like rent bootleg tapes of Chinese productions of these shows and movies, and they're usually adaptations of novels, wuxia novels. Some of you may know what it is, or you might not, but basically it is a genre that talks about ancient China a lot of times, usually talks about ancient China, where these characters have fantastical powers. Um, you know, where I'm talking about like leaping from trees, you're flying, you know, controlling the elements, that sort of fantastical. Some of you might have been exposed to that sort of storytelling in things like Avatar, The Last Airbender, or Kung Fu Panda. These are two instances where in elements of wuxia were reflected in kids' entertainment. One point of interest I would like to reflect on is when I first started watching Avatar The Last Airbender years ago, people were just blown away because they had never seen anything like that. It's sort of the same vibe when like Crouching Tiger first came out. People had never seen that either. But for a lot of us who grew up Vietnamese American or just Asian American in general, these were things we have seen before. And that is thanks to Wuxia. So a lot of the characteristics that I noticed were reflected in like Avatar or Kung Fu Panda or Crouching Tiger is that this region that they would travel to would have like a specific sect of people who mastered certain skills, certain elements, and the character would either have to battle them or learn from them, right? And you see that a lot in Avatar The Last Airbender or in Kung Fu Panda. These characters with different types of powers that either teach or oppose our main character, our protagonist. You can't really talk about wuxia though as a genre without discussing a specific writer by the name of Jin Yong. Vietnamese translation of his name is uh, Kim Yung. So if you talk about Kim Yung to your parents or your, your elders, they probably know what I'm talking about. Kim Yung actually wrote this very influential trilogy uh, of wuxia novels that have been adapted throughout the years. It was the first book in this trilogy called The Legend of the Condor Heroes. It was written in 1957. The Return of the Condor Heroes, the second book, was written in 1959. And the third one, The Heaven Sword and Dragon Saber, was written in 1961. So decades ago, they were first published. But it's almost like every few years, there has been a new television adaptation of these books by different companies, sometimes within like months of each other. Now, if you want to earn some points with your parents or your grandparents, whatever, Talk to them about these books and their Vietnamese names are... So The Legend of the Condor Heroes, the first book in the trilogy, is called uh, An Hong Sadiu. The second one, Return of the Condor Heroes, in Vietnamese, it's Thang Biu Dai Hip. And the third one, Heaven Sword and Dragon Saber, is Yi Ting Do Lam Kim. The most influential for me is probably Thang Biu Dai Hip. Just because there was an adaptation of it that came out when I was a kid that I remember very vividly. You can't really talk about characters in Tang Biu Dai without discussing the characters in An Hong Sadiu because An Hong Sadiu is the parent generation, and then Tang Biu Dai is the next generation, and then Yitin Rolam is the, the other, the last third generation. So the books go through generations, and, and sometimes characters from different books will get mentioned, and you'll see it 
in the, another book and you're like, oh, I know that, or I know that group because they also appeared in the other book. Um, I call them books, but I mostly know them as TV shows. So there was an adaptation of Tangdu uh, Dai in 1995, and that one is pretty iconic for me just because the two main actors in it were sort of unknown before, and they got launched into like massive stardom. In it, the story is about this kid. Uh, his name is Yungwa. He is the descendant of one of the characters from Anhom Sadiu. And he's this like rebellious kind of like carefree kid uh, because he lives on the edges of society. Um, his father was a great villain. So he got ostracized and he got cast out and his kid and his wife got pretty much abandoned to the wolves. Yungwa is known as this like independent, stubborn, carefree character because he had to take care of himself since he was a kid. And then his love interest in the story is Dulam um, Nu. I think the translation of that is Little Dragon Girl. Essentially, the story is about them growing into these great heroes that nobody expected because they came from such different backgrounds. The journey of the, of the series is that, you know, Yungwa is learning all of these new skills, becoming super powerful in this Wuxia world, and then falling in love with Yulam Nu, who at the beginning sort of takes him under her wing and teaches him some new skills as well. Not like that. <laughs> <laughs> I almost fell out of my chair. I just realized how that sounded when I said it. Wow. Okay. The, the greater overall um, appeal, I think, of some of these stories and shows was the interconnectedness of it all. The fact that you can watch one series and have characters reference in another was really cool to see, right? And it was always very exciting to see who would become the next main characters of these adaptations. There's a lot of buzz. If you follow the Asian especially Chinese entertainment world at all, there's always a lot of buzz around who's going to get cast as the next Yungwa or Tilam Nau. These are very coveted roles. Um, and it's always exciting as a fan to see who's going to be stepping into these shoes. And the elements of the story are so fantastical. It is very much an escapist fantasy of ancient China. It's all of these people who have mastered these skills that are super cool to watch on screen. As a kid, like I love seeing people fly around on giant birds and sword fight. Just wild things. I think the closest that I can compare these, these stories to in Western media, American media, is probably superhero stories. I think that's why I got so attached to like comic book stuff when I was a kid. So, you know, like watching the X-Men or the Avengers, things like that, or Spider-Man. These were characters that I, I found a little bit more familiar for me just because it reminded me of elements of Lucia, which I grew up watching. So that was, I think that was comforting for me. And that's why I became so attracted to those stories. So I guess those are like some of the most influential things that I absorbed when I was a kid. And the reason for that is because, you know, they offer these fantastical escapist fantasies that you're, as a kid, it was very easy to get swallowed up in. I would make like fan art or I would dream about one day being able to make something like that that could help people escape. So I have really great memories of, you know, going to the film shop and renting those VHS tapes with my parents, but then also having to like rewind them back before we return them and just making sure, you know, we had the right number, et cetera. And that's so strange to think that we're dating ourselves enough to know that 
at some point in our lives, we didn't watch stuff that was streamed. We had to actually watch tangible, physical VHS tapes. Um, so I think just thinking back to those moments is actually really special because to be able to engage ourselves with this type of art was actually a privilege. And it was something that my family did together as a way to bond and spend time together. Beyond that, though, something that has always really interested me about the connections between different cultures is also translations, which Annabelle has alluded to quite a bit in just her explanation about the Condor trilogy. So if you think about what uh, wuxia is in Vietnamese, as we mentioned earlier, it's yao tuk. And I might just be assuming this, but having studied Vietnamese formally, I think it's actually supposed to translate to uh, martial arts, which is law, and then puk is uh, probably the second half of nghe puk, which means art. So of course it means like martial arts together, right? But if you actually dig a little bit deeper there, um, I think there's something that is speaking to those fantastical elements, that supernatural reality um, that Annabelle mentions earlier. And I'm just calling this out because I think one of the things that is not often maybe discussed enough about these uh, wuxia films um, beyond the martial arts is a lot of like just even like the fashion or like the statements that are attributed to what uh, the characters would wear. Um, and just like the characters themselves, like. If you've seen Wuxia, you know that a lot of, like, even the male characters have, like, super long hair. Like, they would be, like, super long ponytails, and they would all be kind of, like, shaped a certain way. Like, they, I mean, their looks were fresh. I'm sure their looks were considered super fresh during that time. And their love interests were beautiful, too. But the reason I mentioned the fashion element of Wuxia films is that I think it was the only time in my life that I felt like there was some type of balance between uh, like feminine and masculine ideals. Like it was okay to like dress beautifully and then also kick someone's ass because they're a villain, you know? And it was okay to find love and maybe it's okay to be saved. And it's also okay to, you know, it's kind of like a nuanced perspective that like the world isn't perfect and like there can be, and balance can be found in really different ways. Like even if there are villains, sometimes they also have a story behind them, et cetera. And this is so strange because I've never actually uh, watched any of the Condor trilogy and I'm definitely learning alongside you all um, as we're talking about it um, in awe of Annabelle's knowledge of this. As she mentioned Yun Hua, I was reminded of the Netflix series Wu Assassins. The main character is like this kid who is like, he lives on the outskirts of society, whose stepfather is the leader of this really bad gang. And I'm just thinking like a lot of the same elements are there. But I think, again, what this points to is these themes transcend cultures so much. Like we're talking about Vietnamese culture here and what it means to us as Vietnamese Americans. As you can see, there are a lot of different interwoven themes and connections across different cultures, whether that's, you know, China, as we're talking about now, how it relates to us as Vietnamese Americans, and then also potentially even Americans today. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about Wuxia as I'm thinking about it now is you don't really have to have a full understanding or knowledge of martial arts to be able to appreciate it. Um, and then everything that it means to a lot of different cultures. Yeah, definitely. I think the popularity of Wuxia in Vietnam shows how much of an impact China and the colonization had on Vietnamese culture. Popular fiction gets popular because people see elements of themselves or things that they want to see reflected 
in a piece of media. And the fact that Vietnamese people are so attached to these Chinese productions shows that they see something that they relate to or care about. For good or bad, you know, the colonization of Vietnam by China had a huge impact on our people and our culture. In that sense, it is reflective of our history as a people as well. Another element of these films is uh, the romance, epic romances that play out over the entire series. Um, and it's a very slow burn if you're into like fandom culture now. You can think of it as like just hardcore shipping these two characters and not seeing any payoff until like the end of the series where they like ride off into the sunset on a giant eagle. That was pretty much the, the point of Tang Diu Heap. Like these characters just like have so many challenges as they're falling in love with each other. Oh, did I just spoil that? It doesn't matter. <laughs> If you don't know the ending by now, it doesn't matter. So the romance is never easy in these stories. They're very epic. Sometimes they're tragic. And I think that's one of the largest appeals, even for men. Just, you know, you think a lot of times in American culture, rom-coms or romantic things are marketed towards women. But men, Vietnamese men, also love these series, right? My dad loves some of these series too. And the romance aspect of it is very, like, universal. That these, you can see yourself reflected in these characters, or you want to be these characters, or you fall in love with these characters. And men and women were very attached to them because of the romantic nature, not in spite of. And you bring up a good point, is that not everything is black and white. Like I said, you know, Yung Gua is the, the main guy from Tang Du Dai Hip, but his father... Uh, Yoon Kang was the bad guy in An Hong Sadiu. He didn't start out as a bad guy, though. The story is actually about two men who are like sort of like sworn brothers. And then one of them chose the, you know, righteous path and the other not so righteous path. But they started out as friends. And so you've got to see this villain origin story unfold throughout the story. And he only becomes really bad by the end of it. You know, throughout the series, he's known as this very, like, handsome guy that everybody would fall in love with. And so it's not just, like, black and white. It's not, like, a Scar versus Simba situation. It's not like the bad guy is ugly and nobody wants him. Um, it's very much about... It's very much a villain origin story as well as a hero origin story because you see these divergent paths of these two men. And what that reminds me of is Star Wars. You know Anakin... And you watch Anakin become Darth Vader. And I'm sorry if I spoiled that for you. You should have known. <laughs> that's another thing you should have known. So that's the appeal of Star Wars where a lot of people is watching this character. You follow this character and you see Obi-Wan's like outrage at his, you know, sworn brother becoming the bad guy. And that reminds me a lot of Anhom Sadiu. Now, if you look through Netflix, there are actually a couple of series on there now that are Wuxia stories as well. So it's not a surprise to me that these stories have gained popularity with the advent of the internet and the sort of like globalization of culture and stuff like that. Annabelle and I have done our research in me, especially because I am definitely not an expert in wuxia or anything martial arts related. So uh, just need to put that disclaimer out there. Um, but something interesting that I learned as I was reading up on Wuxia is this term called Yangho, which is the martial arts world of ancient China. And the reason I mentioned this term is because in this martial arts world of ancient China, there was almost this like subculture of like being a hermit. So you imagine almost like 
Lord of the Rings in certain ways of like some very foggy landscape. You're kind of just trucking along the mountain road. And that's what I envisioned this to be. And this concept eventually gained acceptance amongst people. And it became like a sub-society that was parallel to mainstream society. I love that this element of wuxia brings in like you don't have to be like the strongest. You can also be more introverted or you can be like someone that looks more inwardly or you can be someone that is just more quiet. And I think that's really powerful because, you know, with the rise of just social media and people are often thinking about leadership styles, right? Like they think that, you know, to be a leader in some way, you have to be super aggressive or you have to be very outspoken, et cetera. And so even in books like Quiet by Susan Cain or Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, it pretty much always operates in this world that is like black or white or this dichotomy that is one or the other. And I think what's really powerful about this aspect of wuxia, and I mean, I would say a lot of Vietnamese culture, Chinese culture, Asian culture in general, is that this is not new, right? And I think what I'm trying to tie it to is what Annabelle shared earlier about like how some of these elements are taken into American culture these days, um, and more recently in modern society, but it's always been a part of our culture. And it's it's up to us to be able to make those connections. And um, that's also just the type of person I am, right? Is I think there's a lot of history that is rooted in who we are. Mm. This is why Annabelle and I have these series that are titled Way Back Wednesdays is because a lot of these things are not new. And it's when we're really searching deep within ourselves, our histories and where we're coming from that, you know, we realize that these learnings and this knowledge has always kind of been within us. It's within the stories of our ancestors and everything that they know. A lot of the times, the most powerful characters in wuxia stories are the quiet ones, the ones who are hermits, the ones who lock themselves away to train by themselves, right? So it's very much contradictory to somebody who's used to like Western comic books, wherein the the hero is always very brash and just jumping into the the fray. In a way, you're right, it is reflective of different cultural values, right? Where in in American values, it's like the most assertive people uh, come out on top. In these wuxia stories, a lot of times it is about going off for like 10 years and just mastering your skill and then coming back when you are ready. And in the world of Yanho, you know, heroes can come from anywhere. You know, when we're discussing wuxia, we're talking about like condor trilogies and, and things that are very obviously defined as wuxia. But I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention one of the most influential things that I watched as a kid that I can like, when I was like two years old, my mom says that I used to hum its theme song. Like, that's how much I loved it. So that is Yuki, Journey to the West. I'm sure... Somebody listening knows what it is. And if you don't, Journey to the West is about, it's a Buddhist story, essentially. But it is about this really powerful monkey. He's called the Monkey King. The character of uh, Son Goku in Dragon Balls is based on him. So he's a monkey. He's very powerful. He's very mischievous. Um, He causes a lot of trouble until he gets trapped under this mountain by Buddha. The point is that he has to reflect upon all of his sins until uh, this Buddhist master comes across him and frees him because he's the only person who can free this monkey. And the monkey is indebted to him. So he goes with him on this journey to collect uh, Buddhist scriptures from the Holy Land. It's a series of adventures and misadventures of the Buddhist master and his disciples, which includes the monkey. And along the way, the, the master collects all of these troublemakers and, and teaches them the way of Buddhism. 
and turn them into good people. There's like a pig in it. He's very lecherous. He's very uh, greedy. Over the course of the stories, all of these originally kind of bad guys become the good guys. The MacGuffin of the story is the Buddhist scriptures. So that's the thing that you're supposed to be desiring. But actually, the story is about their journey together as disciples and master. Most of the story is about the Buddhist master teaching them how to forgive, how to be patient, how to be kind. And he turns them from bad guys to good guys. So it's a story of redemption. But there's also all of these fantastical elements where they battle demons and stuff, which was great for me as a kid. I loved that shit as a kid. I think reflecting back to it now, behind all the flashiness of the fighting and the colorful characters and whatnot, it instilled in me certain values as well. So, you know, like I said, values like being generous, being kind, being forgiving. It's a reminder for me when I'm making something to be careful about the message that I'm sending out or, you know, the things that I'm promoting because of how much of an impact this one series had on me. Nobody necessarily falls in love and there's not really that romantic aspect to it, but it is about love in a lot of ways because he uses his love to like turn these bad guys, these villains, into good guys. That's something that I just wanted to bring up. And if you don't know what Journey to the West is, you don't know what the Monkey King is, you should check that out. I'm glad you mentioned Journey to the West because it also relates to this other aspect of Usha Films, The Code of Shah, which talks about these eight common attributes of being benevolent, um, seeking justice, individualism, loyalty, etc. And what's unique about this is that they are very much so ingrained and similar to Confucian values of being benevolent, loyal, courageous, and righteous. I think something that you said was striking to me earlier was how um, Journey to the West also stressed the importance of Buddhist ideals around like forgiveness, compassion, and just treating others with respect. I think that reflects a lot in what we are attracted to, even as adults. And I I mean, attracted to us in our line of work, the things that we promote, the things that we invest our time and energy into. So for example, social activism, it's about everybody from different backgrounds coming to an understanding that certain things need to be addressed in order for our society to be better. And that's one of the things that I loved watching some of these Wuxia stories. It's like we said earlier, there are people from different backgrounds, uh, you know, occupations, whatever. But in the end, the code of sort of like being a hero is the same. Just like in Journey to the West, the code of being a good guy is the same. And there's a belief in rehabilitation. Even if you're considered an outcast, even if you're considered a bad guy, there's always a chance to be good, to do good, and to turn your life around. Why we as adults are now very attracted to to those ideals and why those ideals are getting more popularized is because we see the nuance in society um, and the diverse storytelling that is now available to us. Um, with the current media landscape, I think it has opened up our world to different narratives, different types of storytelling, and we understand that heroes come in many forms. The message here is that hopefully young people would watch something like this and understand that you don't have to come from a specific mindset or background to be a hero. It's sort of refreshing, I think, to find that in something so silly as watching people (laughs) fly up mountains. The fun of these stories is, at the end of the day, about the visuals, watching people do fantastical things. But the core narrative here is not about all those flashy things. It's about the code of the hero. So that is, uh, that's Wuxia for you. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, the note we want to end on is Annabelle and I 
wanted to start this podcast because there were so many topics related to our heritage and our culture and our family's legacies that we don't really have a space to talk about every day. And, you know, we have very different experiences as Vietnamese Americans, but it is so important to us, again, to ensure that these oral histories are being told because we don't want them to be lost, whether it's the really important stories that our parents and our families have shared with us, or even hopefully the stories that we're living through today. This is why we're here, and this is why we're doing it. We really hope that you found something familiar and comforting in our reflections of our own childhood, in your childhood. We're really thankful that you've been spending all this time with us. And if you ever want to talk about Wuxia, feel free to hit us up. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Miko Big talking about Wuxia. My name is Annabelle. And I'm Bee. Thanks so much for listening. Bye!